Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Now, guess what? This is episode 199, which means that next week is episode 200, obviously. But that episode is going to be featuring a really, really extremely cute and special guest who is me. <laughs> I have gotten a good friend of mine to interview me about my animation career start to finish. Well, it's still going, so start to present. And all the cool things I've been working on lately. So I hope you really tune into that because I'm excited to share it with you. And of course, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast and you'd like to support it, I have started a Patreon. So consider throwing some change my way and help me run this podcast. The link is in the description of this chat. Now, this chat is featuring Canadian director Andy Coyle, who is best known for his work on the Annie Award-winning series, Hilda. And of course, he's gonna be sharing all about how he got into Hilda, but something you may not know is that he's also released very recently his own YouTube series called Don't Walk Home Alone After Dark, which he created a brand new channel for and just uploaded his the first video in the series and didn't do any promoting at all. And somehow the internet found it and now it's received almost 200,000 views. So he's gonna share how he's been able to create the series completely in his spare time and how it's gained so much success so fast. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi Andy, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Great, thanks Terry, thanks for having me. Great, um, you know, I was thinking of starting this chat with some kind of quirky, interesting question, but I don't think I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Right. So let's let's just dive in, you know. Uh, so you are animation director on Hilda. You've been around the block, around the animation scene in in Canada. Where did all where did this all begin for you back in the day? Um, well, I uh, grew up on the east coast of Canada. Oh, okay, like Newfoundlands, New Brunswick, New Brunswick. Which, you know, All right. I know a lot of people who don't live in New Brunswick don't know where New Brunswick is on a map, but it is one of our Atlantic provinces, uh, right beside Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia, and it is touching Maine uh, in the U.S. So let me give you a good idea of sort of where. Um, it is, and I come from sort of the North Shore of New Brunswick. And, so very uh, small town. Yes. Andy, watching cartoons, decides to leave for the big city and pursue animation. Is that the story? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's a, it's a winding story. But yeah, eventually I come to a point in my life where I have um, finished high school and am working just labor jobs um, and thinking, oh, man, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life there's got to be like some something better to be doing with my life uh what do i like to do and i always liked making cartoons i never i never sort of thought of it that seriously as a career necessarily um until i was presented with uh with that sort of challenge of of saying like oh i better figure something out that i like to do uh, or I'm going to be stuck, you know, bottling water for the rest of my life. Um, and, and so I just, at the time it was the very early two thousands and, um, traditional animation was kind of 
on the decline. Uh, and there was sort of this burgeoning field of CG animation uh, was emerging. You know, Pixar had started to really become mainstream and big with, with sort of the idea of doing 3D CG animation. Um, and then that had started to evolve and I had sort of looked around at the landscape and thought, okay, well, if that's the way the wind is blowing, maybe I should learn how to do some kind of uh, CG 3D animation. Um, and, you know, it's, it, I don't know if you know anything about CG, but uh, it's, it's technically complex and it, um, you know, the interfaces are, are just as much of a mountain to climb as, as sort of the artistry of it. And I did sort of get myself into that and uh, ironically never worked in 3D animation. I've always worked in 2D, which just was uh, ironic because at the time also is when sort of the um, digital 2D flash um, had started to evolve to a place where it was starting to be used for broadcast and starting to be used in much more ambitious ways than perhaps it was initially intended. But at the time I had looked at that and thought, oh no, like no way, that's never gonna, that's, okay. you know, like you I couldn't see initially the, the potential beyond sort of like the crudeness of what was being produced. But then uh, just through some, some coincidence had been exposed to it um and it sort of opened my eyes to the possibilities of the way this software or softwares like it could be used yeah to create uh really interesting dynamic artistic visuals that it wasn't necessarily quite so limiting as i maybe thought it was at first so let me just paint the picture a little bit more you're living in the east coast you're bottling water as a job is that what you're doing <laughs> labor that, that was one of the the factory jobs that i had held out all of right several, so you're yeah. working a factory job and you're thinking about your future and trying to figure out something better and you're like i had fun animating so i'll learn how to pixar animate yeah and you're doing this like in your evenings yeah. like you're doing shift work in the day and then coming home and like Yep. You bought, I don't know, 3D Studio Max or something. Uh, it was, well, you know, I don't want to admit to anything uh, publicly, but there were ways in the early <laughs> Of course, 2000s I was the same way, you know. I don't acquiring... even know how we got the software back in the day, but it, it yeah. was gotten. <laughs> exactly. And so, and I had, I'd always like been making my own little cartoons. I see, um, I see. And I had sort of, I've always been fascinated with, with the idea of, of animation in and of itself as a storytelling tool yeah. and so i was doing a real like diy home process of like taking the glass out of like a picture frame and then like masking taping just printer paper onto it and putting a lamp between my legs and like drawing on it and oh doing goodness. sort of and then scanning those pieces of paper into the computer and then coloring them um, and so it was a very laborious, rudimentary process, but I was making these little 
you know, what are now obviously like embarrassing cartoons. Well, it's super but... creative, like where there's a will, there's a way. And also like <laughs> you're doing laborious shift work during the day and then you come home and you're doing laborious animation at night. And I it think... was fun though. It was, yeah, it was, of course. you know, it was part of just like experimenting with like, what, what can I make? And that's what I've always kind of been focused on was yeah. the idea that the tools in that are available and that are used to sort of create this stuff for me are more of like a means to an end. And so I've sort of, I've done a lot of different kinds of jobs in animation production. And I've like, I've been hesitant to really specialize in any one given field because I find there are people who are like exceptional craftsmen and can sort of like, dedicate themselves to becoming masters of a specific discipline, like, like designers that are just like really great at doing location designs or character designs, or if you're uh, specifically an animator and you just love animating, uh, whatever the discipline is that you really sort of like click with and melds with your personality. I find there's lots of people who, who get so much out of just doing those things but I've always felt like for me, they were a means to an end. They were always just part of a process to like come up with an idea in my head and then be like, okay, how can I turn this thing into something that's going to take this idea from my head and then put it in your head? And how does I use these tools to be able to do that competently um, and clearly? And that was sort of the thing that I loved doing. So you end up like, noodling around with so many little things and and then uh that leads to uh at least a, a small amount of experience in a lot of different areas which you can then use professionally when opportunities arrive and you're like oh well i i, I can draw backgrounds i'll get a job drawing backgrounds on this Just show give me some glass and a lamp and i'll <laughs> yeah I can, i'll figure it out let me figure out what we could do and i think i've always been sort of driven to be playing with huh. the, the the possibilities at my disposable to try and just come up with interesting out-of-the-box solutions and communicate story ideas. Totally. Well, one of those things I want to talk to you about, you know, don't walk home alone after dark, I think is a result of that. But first, like, you know, I often reminisce about how I discovered kind of animation myself, just kind of like sitting alone I remember like gathering leaves and putting them on a piece of paper and like lighting it underneath like you and then filming it and then like taking out frames and then like just the most random experiments to try to like make moving images and tell stories and things. And I, I, the excitement I got from just exploring it for the first time was there was like nothing that was parallel, but now where you know i've been in the industry for a couple of years and i'm working professionally like that excitement the same excitement isn't there but i'm always kind of still wanting to experience that does that make sense like yeah. i often go back into this like childhood mindset when i'm working on a new project and like i always find like the first I don't know, a week or a month on a new project is super fun because you're like exploring, you don't know how things work yet. And it kind of brings me back to that phase. Is that kind of the same for you? Yeah, I think I definitely, like for me, the most wonderful parts of making stuff are the very beginning and the very end. Yeah, the and very I feel end. Like, 
the both of those times are magic and, and sort of that's why you do the whole process is at the beginning it's it's exciting you've you've concocted this idea in your head and you can imagine it and it's real inside of you already yeah. but you've got to figure out a way like how am i going to realize this how am i going to turn this into an actual tangible thing that other people can then have um and then there's this sort of like gigantic middle part where you start going oh god what am i doing is this good was this even good to begin with what's happening why am i doing this to myself um and you start to question, you know, your entire existence. Yeah. And by the if, end of it, you come to the other side. And then when it's all said and done, you've created something and then you share it with somebody else. And then that moment for me is what is really awesome is the when you can make something that you can stand behind and are really proud of. And and then someone else experiences it and they go, oh, wow, that was really awesome. Right. And, then it's like, okay, that's, I remember now. I remember that part of the process, that beginning phase when I felt that. And now I'm sharing it with other people. And it's, it's a very powerful thing. And it's the whole, you know, justification for, for putting yourself through something as laborious and tedious as creating every element of every scene. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, animation is such a um complex art form because there is no sort of there's no captured reality it is all of it contrived it's all of it deliberately crafted every piece of every shot every action every movement every sound everything is brute force created um, which is magical in the sense that you can really create a pure and interesting creative vision it's also just incredibly difficult and time consuming. <laughs> yeah, of course. I like what you said about the ending because like, that's a big part for me too. The kind of the hearts, my heart like literally stops. I get like so much excitement. I'm so like ready to share like what I consider a surprise to somebody else. Like surprise, here's a whole thing. Um, and then like the littlest comment, like, oh, that was great. Just like means everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, great. These years were worth it after all. <laughs> I'm wondering though, you know, as a director on Hilda, which is like super acclaimed, very beautiful storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that whole experience you go through where there's like the experimentation, you know, the kind of like imposter syndrome throughout and then the result at the end. How do you, as a director, make sure that a whole team is executing that original world that you have set aside in your mind uh, with the style, the type of storytelling, all that stuff in the beginning? It's a difficult process. It's like, because especially in television where there's just so many moving pieces and there's so many different yeah. uh, elements that are all happening at the same time. And you're trying to make a bunch of different stories all in different stages. And you're, you know, there's a lot of um, work that has to go into it. And it's not like an easy natural process to make that happen. Um, it's, it is something that, I've had to learn and develop over time, just through experience, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, and then also you pair that with sort of being very, trying to be as thoughtful as possible upfront and be, um, at least convince yourself that you've got a good idea, that this is worth, how do you do that? How do you how do you convince yourself you have a good idea? 
Uh, sometimes you lie to yourself. Sometimes you, I don't know. I, I think I think you have to capture that initial excitement um, in your mind. So if you that, feel like really excited about something, that means yeah. it's probably a good idea and like capture that moment. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and hang on to that because when things do inevitably get difficult in the process of trying to merge the sort of creative endeavors with commercial interests that yeah. you hang on to that memory of what that was and have it be your north star to guide you through the sort of labyrinth of making a television show um and that if if you are any good if you you know and if you if you do have good ideas that at the other end those will come out and then everyone else will say oh wow that's really cool. And then you can start to refine that process and do it again and again. Um, and more and more people will be apt to say, okay, well, if you've got a cool idea, then let's do it because we've seen yeah, our implementation of cool ideas in the past. I think that's a really good point as a director, because like, you know, as a director, you're people managing, you're art managing, and you're always trying to push for the best ideas in everything to mm -hmm. come out. So besides developing an acumen for knowing which are the best ideas, what you say makes you excited and to hold on to that, how do you get other people to trust that you have the best ideas? Like, I, like I know what you just said, where you said over time, you know, more yeah. and more that people uh, kind of trust that you're producing good work. They trust you with more things. But how do you start that originally? Because, you know, every artist, there's a reason you're an artist and it's because you you want to create and you want to share. Mm -hmm. How do you develop the trust with people who have money to give you the role of a director to say, not only am I an artist, but like I can make the best ideas flourish for this whole giant production? In, is, in all aspects. Yeah, it is, is. It's a long process. It's not an overnight process. So if you're a young animator and you think, you know what, I want to direct my own TV show. Yeah, everybody, I want to. You're going to have to sort of be a little pragmatic and say, okay, then I need to start smaller. I need to figure out ways for me to hone some of those skills that I'm going to need yeah. um, when I get to that point through sort of uh test runs uh, yeah. and that's a great way like if, if you're working at any position in the industry already is sort of like applying yourself and really focusing on what particular role you're fulfilling in any given production and trying to understand it as good as you can um so that you get the context of that because that's what i think has been super helpful for me as a director is having worked in a whole bunch of different positions and having a good working knowledge of what it takes to do all of the different bits that come together to totally. Make so where would you say you're, you know, being a director on paper is one thing, but where would you say that your actual, you know, director experience and pathways started? Um, it absolutely started in my own personal work. And that's that's the thing that I feel I, I look around a lot, particularly in the professional animation industry. And you've got a lot of people who I know love the art of animation, but have they they come to work, they work on their professional show, whatever it is, and then they go home and they just don't 
yeah. make anything. They don't draw anymore. They don't, they're not coming up with their own stories and things. I think it's, it's more common than not that people sort of resign themselves to the, the part of the job that is less, I guess, romantic or, you know, like the, the, the more sort of nuts and bolts of having a job and having to perform a responsibility. Totally. It's, a, um, it's creatively exhausting to yeah. work eight hours a day. <laughs> it is. But I think that if uh, there's a real value in keeping that fire alive in yourself, if yeah. you, like, and that's not to say you, everyone has to do that. Cause I think there's definitely a lot of room for people who are really professional craftsmen and just, you know, that's just what they do. I think that's a really exceptional and admirable thing to do it just isn't what I do and so from my perspective when I look at my path really the beginning of it has always been that when I go home at night I'm thinking up stories and different like little bits that I can sort of weave into making pitches for tv shows or script ideas or just different my own little short clips or whatever it is I want to sort of indulge in those things even if they never are realized which I think people sometimes get caught up a little bit in this idea that like oh well I I started but I never finish it it's like well so what who cares if you never finish it yeah the, the point is just doing it in and of itself you're the exercise of indulging it is worth something and you will learn and grow through that process even if you're like oh, i have this cool idea for this shot and so you start drawing it and you animate the first couple of things and then you sort of give up on it well you already got that much out of it you don't need to finish the thing necessarily to say oh well i did that's where i get everything out of it you're gonna be able to leverage the just the experience of doing it so i would definitely encourage people to sort of um lean into that a little, make a little time for that stuff, you know, just um, explore different creative endeavors um, on your own. Outside. Would you, would you say that you, you're somebody who's naturally inclined to do those things or is it a struggle to be like, all right, I just got home from work. I got eight to 10 hours or whatever it is at work. And I also want to create my own stuff and direct one day. So I'm going to push myself to get a few frames down on paper today? Or is it more like, I'm really excited to do this and I'm just naturally doing it? Oh, it's both. Sometimes, like it can go back and forth, right? Like yeah. there's just different times where you are more amiable to doing it. And there's other times where you may feel like, oh, I just, oh, this is gonna be really hard and I don't, I'm so tired, but that maybe it's worth it to try. And then maybe it's not, maybe you just take it easy for yeah. a little bit, just, but you know, there's value in it. I'm just wondering, did you have this, overarching goal that your your personal stuff would uh lead to something more fulfilling in your in your professional career or were you just doing it anyways for the fun of doing it and it happened to lead to uh you know gains in your professional career uh yeah i think it was more um the 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 former uh not that the, there's there was no element of just sort of um, doing it and then separating my professional yeah. work and my personal work. But the aim has always been um, to be able to create personal work on a professional level for me. So it um, there's always been some connective tissue there between those 
uh, two sides of, of my work. Uh, but, you know, but there has always, again, there's been jobs that you do where you're like, okay, well, you know, this is a job and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to work as hard as I can work and, and try to get what I can get out of this experience. But it's not the same thing as like when I go home and I'm making my, my stories and I'm, I'm, you know, crafting. I like like what you said about, uh, you know, your personal work being super professional because every stride that has happened in my career has come from me doing personal work that I've just decided that this is going to look super professional. And then somehow through the magic of how the world works, it gets noticed by the right people who have given me opportunities to do more of that kind of stuff professionally though, which has been amazing. Um, So do you want to talk about your latest project that uh, you just happened to publish on a on a YouTube channel with no views and no subscribers. And here we are three months later and you're at 10 K subscribers and 150,000 views for your one, for one animation, (laughs) one short animation. (laughs) Yeah. I think I, this is a project that I um, really, it was something that I felt like no one's going to pay me to make this thing. Like if I, if I try to explain this to somebody cold, if I tried to pitch this, yeah that the, the, the reaction I would get from most people professionally would be like, okay, uh, not really sure what you're, what you mean. What's but, the ROI here? Yeah. <laughs> and for, for me, it was something that was like, well, I'm, I, this is the kind of thing that I would love to see. Um, and if no one's going to be really, holding those doors open for this kind of material uh, to be explored, then I might as well just sort of find ways to be able to do it independently and not have to go and and ask somebody permission to please let me make the thing that I want to make. Like, the, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, ah, it's so frustrating in, in, the world of television to have specific gatekeepers who um, you go to and, and, and essentially just get on your knees and feel like, please, please let me, please let me make the thing that I think would be really cool. And then maybe someday, somehow one of them might on a whim go, Oh yeah. Okay. You, you'll be, you are allowed son, Uh, you know? And so it, it felt like, I wanted to do a little bit of an end run around the process, but that meant that I also had to be like very creative and economical with the execution in a way where I had to sort of make something that could be made by a guy in his bedroom alone uh, and wouldn't take a hundred years to do that. Because as we said you know earlier, animation is a very, laborious process well every um, once in a while somebody comes out with a full feature film that they've been working on for 40 years yeah you <laughs> could be that person yeah <laughs> I, I totally i totally well, understand it. and you know the the watching it it's well why don't you describe what it is because uh for those who, who are listening that don't know what it is like give me a short it, synopsis Just it is a uh the format uh that i want to continue to explore is a horror anthology um animated storytelling series so just essentially 
um, a lot of limited, but uh, atmospheric and really deliberate uh, compositions and artwork used to sort of perform the same function that you would in terms of like a traditional cinematic experience without having to rely so much on, on cinematic convention. You can sort of narrate some stories and, and accompany it with some illustrations and some fully articulated animation and some, you know, like it's a, it's a really sort of like uh, economic hodgepodge of, of different techniques to be able to achieve the effect um, that you could have the kinds of stories that you would tell around a campfire. Yeah, uh, campfires are good. In my mind, I was going to say campfire. In my mind, it's like a, it's like a scary campfire story that's illustrated, but animated, like a yeah. animated picture book kind of. But it's like for adults or or yeah, exactly. It's for I want it to be very broad. I don't want it to be ever too super adult in terms of like. Yeah, it's not super adults. It's not. Like, it's not for five year olds. <laughs> exactly. It is. It is serious and dramatic and scary um, and sophisticated and not. Uh, it's not specifically targeted at a younger audience but it's not specifically targeted at an older audience either yeah. i want to have a broad appeal to anybody who's interested in those kinds of things that that you would get something interesting out of the this series and what essentially is right now just one story because i haven't uh, completed the follow-up story that i'm that i'm working on. i'm working on a couple follow-up stories but yeah. um it uh it is hopefully um the beginning of a lot of interesting exploration and uh and fun to be had did you uh so you made it yourself but like um writing is very very difficult and pacing is difficult too did you do that all yourself as well yeah that's so essentially cool. like what happened was it had the project had sort of begun because i was working so much um and you wanted to work more well i felt i felt creatively like you know it's very difficult in, in tv when you're if there's just so much of the business and the logistics and the managing of yeah, people yeah, yeah, and yeah. teams and budgets and schedules and and i just wanted something that was not tainted by any of those things it was just purely about the sort of creativity of making it I was just hungry for something like that and then I um, had written this short story and as I was writing it you know there was these ideas in my head of like oh this I have these visuals in my head of of what it it could feel and look like um, visually and then it sort of just came to me to say like, oh, you know, it could be a really interesting experience to just sort of try and see if I can turn this short story into a sort of short film. Um, and there was a process of adaptation, you know, where like I had written out the short story, uh, never really intended for anybody to, to read it. Uh, but then once I sort of, sat down one night and just recorded it in my bedroom and said, okay, I, I, I narrated it, laid that out on a track and said, okay, now 
how do I approach doing this and started putting visuals to the narration. And then that necessitated sort of going back and re-recording certain parts and then cutting parts of the story out completely and streamlining the process to, to a degree. But it was, it was just like a really like free and experimental process. It was just me fooling around. Yeah. It sounds like you, know? you tripped over a rock and ended up with this thing on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, that process of writing it and um, then storyboarding it and designing it and editing it and, and you know recording it and all of that whole sort of formative process was very organic and yeah. sort of me playing with all of those elements at the same time and cobbling it together. And then sort of from there building out more finished shots as I was going. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just sort of like, I had sort of the, the rough block-ins of a lot of stuff and then I'd finish work on like Friday and go home, spend some time with my kids. And then once everyone was in bed, I'm just like, okay, let me just, let me just crack open this scene and, get a few more drawings done on it and uh, see if I can slowly but surely pick away at this thing. And really um, it was during the Christmas break of last year that I, I mean, I was off for like, I think two and a half weeks or something also because the, the schedule of the show and the movie that I had done with Hilda um, sort of just aligned in a nice way that during the Christmas break, I had a little bit of time and then I found myself kind of sitting there going like, okay, well, I guess I'll just work on this thing. So I got a, a large percentage of it sort of just hammered out um, during the Christmas break. And, and then um, it was just one night I was at the studio and Heath Kenny, who is the uh, chief creative officer at Mercury Filmworks, um, was just coming by my office to chat about something. And he saw some stuff on my screen and he was like what is that what's what's going on there and i was like oh no it's nothing it's just it's just this little thing that i'm noodling around with and he was like oh man that's super cool he loves that stuff whoops yeah and he was like that's really cool let me let me take a look at that so then i just showed him the thing and he was like oh my god this is crazy uh and then so he had offered to see if if i needed any help um finishing off the last i had like a like two shots left or something that I needed to really finalize. And then there was the question of um, underscore, like getting some music done, which I had sort of resigned myself to having to provide myself or pay for myself. Um, and then Mercury sort of graciously uh, offered to help with some of the uh, logistics of getting that sorted out. And, uh, and then also uh, my buddy, John McKinnon, who is my editor on Hilda, uh, I sort of enlisted his help while we were sort of spotting the music and sort of just trying to repace a couple of little bits. Uh, and it was just like, a, you know, just a fun little project for everybody to kind of screw around with. And then uh, it was ready to go and then we were kind of like, when are we gonna, when are we gonna release this thing, and what are we gonna do with this thing? What is the? Because I had never really thought about, like, what what is this for? What a, it's just it was just for fun, 
And then, so in my head, I was like, well, yeah, for me, probably should just go on YouTube to be shared with, with people. I don't think it needs to be turned into like some kind of business opportunity. It's just for the love of the game, man. It's, you know, like put it out and let people experience it. And then I didn't have really any expectations of anybody really caring all that much. I thought, obviously it's not a known entity. It is just a random video on YouTube. And then people really responded to it and love it. And I think it's uh, really cool. Just, I mean, in terms of the grand scheme of things, you're like, oh, wow, 150,000 views. It's like, that's not huge. But for me, it's huge when you're like, well, yeah, I didn't expect a hundred people to watch this. Thing. But it is, it is huge from literally having no channel, no video, just posting it. Like, yeah. have you looked at the stats at all? Do you know the analytics of where these people came from, how they found it? Like, yeah, it's all it organic. Share? It's it like and it, there was a, a really wonderful YouTube channel um, who does sort of like scary uh, story stuff that had shared um, the the link to the video mm. um, at, early on and that sort of helped get some a little bit of traction and I think yeah. once once the once the YouTube algorithm had sort of picked it up it's all organic um views from youtube's browse features and yeah. uh, suggested videos so it's like like that's 99 percent of my audience is is from that stuff so it's not people i know it's not people well you know, i don't think you know 150,000 people i'd be yeah. so it's 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 really and it's not from like me sharing it on social media or mm. anything like that it is yeah. just uh, people who found it, who thought, oh, that looks interesting. And then watched it and went, oh, that's really cool. I like that. So yeah. for me, it's, it's been just such like a, a really fun process of, of having people enjoy the work that is, it's a, like, it's something I wish that I could just do all the time constantly and, <laughs> and just dedicate myself to just doing that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations. First of all, now that you're going to be making more do these thoughts creep into you, your head a little bit about the audience, you know, yeah. getting more views, working with more people, like you said, with like, you know, John and Heath and music and. Yeah, I think that's, it has crept in a little bit. I don't, I want to make sure I maintain the sort of the, the part of the process that allows for the creative exploration yeah. Um, like a, the collaboration is really great. I love collaborating with other artists and um, and making stuff. What I don't particularly like is sort of the restrictive nature of like arbitrary boundaries yeah. where you're like, oh, this the animation on shot 12 has to be completed by Thursday at 3 p.m. And in my mind, I'm like, well, does it really though? Because what if it's done? Friday at well, and then you stop enjoying the process. Exactly, it's more about coming to the answers and like and yeah. experimenting and finding the stuff that I feel like is really creatively valuable than it is trying to turn it into some kind of like um, managed, scheduled, yeah, production production that like I just want it to be more about the the making of it and enjoying the process of making of it because that's the reason I started doing it in the first place was totally was just to have something that could be just about like what is best for the shot and what do I feel 
good about when I'm when I'm making the thing because it is really wonderful when like when you're doing something that you love doing and you're enjoying doing it it's just a great feeling um and obviously as you know like working in the industry sometimes you just feel like you love doing it but god it's you're really tired and you don't want to be doing this yeah, right doing now it every single day yeah <laughs> so you know you just want to have something that you can kind of escape to a little bit and uh and and play with so and, and so i'm not opposed to uh collaborating with people and in fact i've started already i um uh have made like a a few little short vignettes that i haven't released yet with a couple of friends of mine that are more like little one scene uh animated short ideas and so i've got them all sort of like in various states of finishing uh so in the next few weeks i'm going to be releasing a couple of those um and they are, I think, like, I'll tell you the titles. I'm not going to spoil anything, but the first one is going to be called The Girl in the Mirror. The second one is going to be called uh, Dead End. The third one is going to be called, I think, My Stepdad's a Werewolf. And the last one will be called Don't Look Up. So, okay, so we have creepy, creepy, funny, creepy. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's going to be just really simple, interesting compositions with right. sort of like fully animated um, little ideas that I feel like um, are, are like great little things to tie people over until I can get the next sort of big I mean, story out. You sound excited about them. So I'm, ex I'm excited for you and I'm excited to see them. What happens when you release episode two or part two of the anthology and it gets 10 views because it didn't get the shares of the organic Google algorithms, YouTube algorithm didn't pick it up, et cetera, et cetera. How will you feel or how will that change things? I don't know yet. I think like obviously it would be naive to pretend that like it wouldn't, it wouldn't, you wouldn't feel something. You would feel like, oh, that, you know, yeah, great. But I think at this point, my head is so deep into like the making of it and this new story. I just love it. Like it's it's such a cool idea that is tailor made for like this format and this audience that for me, there's equally as much possibility they could do way better than yeah. the last story. You know, what I mean, it could do way worse. It could do way better. But right now, I think I love the story and it's it obviously means something different to me at this point because it's it's mostly in my head right now and while the pine creepers is a very real thing that exists and yeah, yeah, yeah. uh you know so maybe i'll feel differently about the story when it is completed but for right now i'm like so excited about this next story that i can't imagine even really caring all that much but i know it would be silly to pretend like oh that wouldn't affect yeah. you in any way well, but it's it's hard to even really think about right Fair. I mean, for me, it's kind of the opposite. It's a problem that I've had is every time I create something, I wanted the next thing I create, I want it to be better and bigger and more amazing. So everything I create essentially takes more and more effort until I reach a point where I'm like, to make this thing, it's going to take so much time and effort that I am almost like, I don't even do it because I don't want <laughs> yeah. to start because I already know the amount of extreme effort I'm going to have to go to to make the next thing. <laughs> yeah, so. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a real thing that people have to deal with, I guess. And, and, and I think for me, again, I try to remember like that I believe in it 
all the time when I'm thinking like, like, what are other people going to react to it? I don't know, but I know I feel really excited about it. And for me, at least I can believe that that will lead to in some form what I'm looking for, which is other people enjoying it. Um, it sounds like you have a lot of different creative goals. Like I know that you, maybe we can talk about this too, but you're, you have pitches in various stages of development. You're a director, uh, you know, and, and you're creating your own stuff too. So sounds like animation really just, or storytelling runs your, runs your life. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is what I do. And that's the thing. I think like, that's the core of what my vocation is, I guess, is, yeah. is storytelling where, I do feel like um, I love animating. I love designing. I love drawing layouts and I love editing and I love, you know, I love writing, but I, all of those things are all elements and facets of the process of getting to make something. So let me ask you this, you know, you've kind of uh, talked about the, how the process of directing and, you know, uh, dealing with budgets and teams and, and gatekeepers and whatever, et cetera. Uh, kind of compelled you to create your own thing apart from all that, which is, uh, you know, the Pine Creepers or the, the anthology, horror anthology. Mm-hmm. Why would you then be excited about pitching your own stuff if you know that it's going to end up in that, you know, that gatekeeping budget process at the end anyways? There is a part of me that, you know, always believes that I can push the boundaries a little bit um and i it's and i don't want to completely discount sort of like the the power of collaboration like we were talking about earlier where like when you get access to um the ability to collaborate with so many people that are like professionals and and incredibly talented and way more talented than i am in a lot of um these these different disciplines yeah i think that there's a possibility for for that collaboration to bring something to the table that i could never make on my own that you know like there's something magical about that process that that it could be greater than my initial creative vision that there could be a real contribution by others without the access to the, the resources of uh, the industry, it would be hard to marshal that much totally work uh, so, and have anybody be motivated to do it with you. I mean, that 100% makes sense. I'm just wondering, maybe this is maybe a bold question, but why not push the boundaries with the projects you're currently on in the ways that you want to see? Or is it more or less like you need to start with completely different and new material to, to push those boundaries? I, well, yeah, I think it's, I, and that's not to say that I haven't attempted to on the stuff that I am right. currently working on. It's just, there's always boundaries to be pushed. There's yeah. always the next step you can take. There's always the thing that you can say, oh, well, if I just a- attacked it from this direction, maybe I could achieve a different result. And maybe I could make something um, that would be really substantial and something I'd be really proud of um, if I try different things. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't work. But I've found um, over my career in the past almost 20 years um, that the more you do that, it, it, it works out in your favor more often than not. You start to discover really like interesting uh 
outcomes that you would not have anticipated. People know you as the guy that's always like, oh, here he is with a new idea that we're yeah. going to decline yeah, again. Exactly. And that's what I, even um, in the show that I uh, direct and produce, Hilda, it's something that I have constantly done. You know, the show itself has evolved and grown over the course of its uh, two seasons movie. And now we're in production on the third season. Yeah. And um, it's always been a conscious effort from myself and, and all the members of the team really to be like, okay, well, we did, we did season one and we were all really proud of it. And we thought, okay, that's great. We was no guarantee we were going to be able to make any more of this show. So we all put everything we had into it and we tried it and we, we made something we were really proud of. And then everybody else liked it too. And then Netflix was like, okay, well, let's make some more. And we went, okay, well, if we're going to make more, we're not just going to do the same thing over again. We're going to grow and we're going to try different things. We're going to push things. We're not just going to be like, oh, well, let's do the exact same thing. So in the second season for the show, we deliberately tried to evolve the, the production process, the pipeline, the creative endeavors, all of it, the stories yeah. that we were telling. Um, and then we felt like, oh, wow, that worked even better. We felt really, really strong about it. And then they were like, let's make a movie. And then we did the same thing where it was like, well, we could just rest on our laurels and uh, be like, oh, we know how to do this. Just, just pump out the same thing again. But instead we said, well, let's refine this. Let's, let's further distill it and keep tweaking. And then uh, we did that. And again, every one of these times we kept not knowing sort of, whether we were going to be doing more or whether this was our big, uh, you know, moment to sort of finish it off. But then luckily all of that stuff does really well. And so we're going to do a third season. And this is again, something that I've tried to evolve and, and grow and try out some different things and make sure that we're not just rinsing and repeating with the show that if we're going to make more episodes, there's going to be a reason for those to exist. They're yeah. not just a retread of old episodes. So it's something that I bring to all the stuff that I try to work in. Um, it's just obviously, you know, the there are different opportunities on different shows to try out different totally. ideas. Makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like like pitching some things that are deliberately crafted to <coughs> excuse me, take advantage of that is the, something really interesting for me. Like even going in different directions, like doing a preschool show, how would you take, how would you craft a preschool show that you would feel really creatively? Listen, I'm trying by? to do that currently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, see a, I see a big gap in, and well, I, I think some shows feel that, but like you hit a, you hit a nail or I don't know what the saying is, but you hit a soft spot for me because I look at preschool and I'm like, oh, it's so formulaic. Nobody really cares. You know, they're just like, yeah. you look at Cocomelon and like I have a niece and it's like, oh my goodness, like the same stuff over and over and over again. And it's, it's, uh, I think there's a need for something a little bit more risky, a little bit more fun, creative. Yeah. I feel like that's what I want to try and bring to the table too, is this idea that you could do sort of these really impactful prestige shows that are just really it doesn't have to be big you don't have to go big big yeah. scope sometimes you can go really small and really just try to be as deliberate as possible and and make an experience that's just a little unique and that i think oh. there's a lot of value for that 
in the landscape of, of children's entertainment. And then also you look at like, you know, the, the adult landscape of sort of like primetime animation. That's the same sort of thing where you think there is so much room for different variation that would feel so fresh and, and have yeah. such value. Where like you, you do see it sometimes on TV. Like my, my wife um, does character design on a TV show called Primal. Um, and like, it's something on TV that you watch and you say, oh yeah, this is so specific um, and, and, and appealing and has such a unique identity and personality as a show. And it's a small little production, um, but they do really amazing, beautiful things and different ambitious storytelling that I would love to see, not necessarily like a bunch of primal clones, but yeah. just different no, 100%, things, yeah. you know, like try out some different stuff and you could find some really resonant, powerful material that, yeah. you know, if anything does catch on, then people can start to lean into it and invest more and do bigger, more ambitious versions of it. But it would be really great to see sort of smaller um, scale projects done with a lot of heart and a lot of passion, especially in features. You know, I feel like that would be great to get a, a more flourishing, small scale animated feature landscape that doesn't, you know, you don't need $200 million to make an animated feature. That's just, you know, for me, it would make more sense to do 20, $10 million animated features than to do one $200 million one. And at least then you can sort of see which way the wind's blowing on any given style or, or tone or, or you, need to, you need to go back in time to the eighties. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's potential for the future always to, to sort of push into those oh, areas. Of yeah. But I it's feel just... like we're reaching a point where everything's so saturated. Nobody cares anymore. Like I stopped seeing superhero movies because I just don't, I just don't care yeah. anymore. I'm waiting for something to excite me. And it's, it's like really tough to get me in a theater these days. Whereas like before I was seeing everything. I was, it was super exciting, especially when the 3d boom happened, every 3d movie was exciting. Now I'm like, all right, can me like, I don't really care. Give me something new. So I'm, yeah. I totally feel you. And yeah, we all need like everybody watches hundreds of shows growing up and in, in their adulthood, but it's those specific special ones that really stand out and you remember. And I like I grew up watching TV every single day as a kid and I probably can't remember half of the shows. I need a BuzzFeed article to tell me what I what I forgot basically. That's an interesting idea too because I do feel like people kind of look back on sort of past eras with a sort of distilled understanding of what they actually were because the stuff that standed out, the stuff that stood out, the stuff that uh, had real personality and identity that really defined that stuff is so strong. But yeah. I guarantee there was just as much sort of like disposable, oh, forgettable stuff 100%. that everyone just forgets about. But it's yeah. that those like really iconic lasting bits of art that right like who thought uh some turtle superheroes yeah, like the founding fathers of art and poetry and whatever we're gonna stand out yeah. versus like the hundred other cartoons and here we are <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like something 30 that years later still it really like there i think in every generation there are some of these things that are peppered throughout and yeah. it's just up to um, the artists and creative people in the entertainment industry to just always be 
pushing for that as hard as we can and yeah, that yeah. um hopefully well the people who have the money don't they're not the creative folk unfortunately so it's yeah. always a battle and i've always believed that that's the way to the audience's heart is like is making stuff that you believe in that you feel oh, like you connect with and resonate with that if at least you can you can check that box off that you have the best possibility of being able to reach the audience with that material and it's not going to be for everybody but i think um you know the alternative of people trying to mimic other yeah. things that have been successful um isn't really ever going to result in the same kind of success so i feel like yeah. the more we can all push for just making distinct uh pieces that have some kind of personality to them the better off and healthier the entertainment industry will be I mean, I am all for that 100%, you know, and uh, I don't want to take up all your time tonight, but, um, you know, it's been a pleasure hearing where your careers come from, the projects you're working on, Hilda directing, you know, the horror anthology. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that we haven't, um, we haven't covered? Um, not really. I mean, <clears throat> let's think. We had, <laughs> I, I don't know, I just, I'm just excited about the um the prospect of of doing more don't walk home alone after dark yeah. um and uh the having the third season of hilda come out and then uh yeah you've got a lot going on we'll, we'll see what happens after that but i'm i'm really excited and I, I i'm also just excited to see what other kind of new stuff sort of comes out in the rest of the industry so if you hear of anything cool let me know <laughs> well listen to this podcast and you will endlessly find <laughs> absolutely cool stuff well uh andy super thanks for coming on you know like i said i've enjoyed hearing all about it and also you know i thought pine creepers was really cool i i i um had no expectations going in and i listened and watched while i was working and it was actually quite i'm i'm super impressed by especially your storytelling specifically because i know how hard writing can be and for you to just come up with that on your own, like, I think that's amazing. Thanks, so, man. I, I appreciate that. That means a lot. Well, and, uh, you know, thanks again for coming on the chat. And uh, 100% I'll be looking out for more stuff from you. And if you're listening and you want to check out Don't Walk Home Alone After Dark, I'm going to include a link to the YouTube video in the description of this chat. And uh, if you want to follow Andy, you can do so by checking him out on Twitter uh, by kind of Andy Coyle. And I'll include a link to that as well. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work. 